0: The Case of the Thieves and Brigands, Part 9, Getting Hot, is based on the book by James H. Collins, The Great Taxicab Robbery.
1: I'm still spitting blood when I pull away from the mall. I get through Pensacola and end up at the house somehow. I don't remember any of it. I'm just sitting in my driveway with my bleeding hands on the steering wheel. When I first went into the dumpster, all the smells had been ripe, organic, overpowering, adding vomiting to the pain that had already been inflicted on me. My clothes reek. If I hadn't already emptied my stomach, I would have wretched in my car. I have enough sense to sit on one of the floor mats. Artie didn't want me broken. He approached it methodically, choosing each location and the strength of his blows. There was no emotion in his eyes it was a job. Beating me hadn't been personal for him, it was business, and he knew his business. That didn't make the beating I took any less severe or cruel. He could have knocked me out with one punch. He wanted me to be aware. He could have continued beating me until I was dead. He didn't. He wasn't there long enough for anyone to notice and call the cops. It was over in seconds. He tossed me on the ground, issued his warning to stay away, grabbed me by the collar, pulled me to his face. I could still hear him.
2: That's what happens to wannabe pigs snooping around the wrong neighborhood. You understand me?
1: I stand outside and hose myself off before going into the house. The water stings the cuts. The smell of rotting garbage clings to my clothes. I glance over at Mrs. Matheson's house to see if she's looking through their blinds. I strip naked, kick the clothes to the side. I walk into the house, pull a beer out of the fridge, hold it to my forehead to stop the pounding. I try to open it. Uh, um, I can't even open my own beer. I sit the beer back in the fridge and head straight to the bathroom and my medical kit. No one's going to think the mug staring at me from the bathroom mirror is handsome. My face is already darkly bruised around some of the cuts. A glance down reveals deep purple bruises on my ribs. I had tried to fight back and my knuckles showed it. Everything hurt. I never saw him coming. I got sloppy. I sat in the car and dozed, waiting for the coffee shop kid to show. They had known I was still there. It was someone who knew who I was and what my car looked like. They had sent the muscle to warn me off. I wonder if the guys who sent him told him to keep me alive. I don't think the guy that hit me cared one way or the other. I spend a long time in the shower, slowly letting the warm water wash over me as I check again for anything that might be broken. I dry off, slowly ease into bed. As I lie there staring at the ceiling, I smile. That guy who pounded me was good. He had done the job he was hired to do. What he didn't realize was I knew who he was. When I found wings and saw the flyers, I pulled some off the utility pole. One of them was like the one Wings had in his hand, an ad for a boxing match. I had recognized his face right away. He was a boxer. <laughs> I've got you, buddy. I must have nodded off. At first, I think the pounding I'm hearing is in my head. Unfortunately, it's Montalbo and the new guy. <laughs> Man, was I sore! I thought about ignoring them, but Montalbo was hitting my door hard enough that the neighbors would notice.
2: James, open up, please.
1: Oh, joy, the Bobsy twins.
2: Good evening, Mr. James. I was wondering if we could talk with you. So, talk. Ain't you a pretty sight? You get hit by a truck or something? Eh, Something like that. Can we come in?
1: Just what I needed. Montalbo poking around my house again. I also didn't need Mrs. Matheson in the house next door peering from behind her curtains at us. Sure. Just pretend that we're good buddies. Montalbo settled down in a chair, but his eyes kept roving over the place. Bennett did the talking. (laughs) Probably a good idea.
2: Mr. James, you look like you should go to the doctor. What happened to you? I ran into a door. Must have been a hell of a door. Uh Uh-huh. We could take you to the ER at Baptist. What I want
1: to do is go to sleep. You're keeping me from that. What do you want?
2: A complaint came in about you snooping around the carjacking site. They were talking about getting a restraining order. We wanted to know what you were doing there. You working for someone interested in the carjacking?
1: No one is paying me to look into the carjacking. I'm scouting the place for an office, and I thought I'd check to make sure Wings' stuff gets back to him. Wings? Yeah, get it? Like the show that's running on every channel at Christmas time. You know,
2: George Bailey. Okay. Wings a friend of yours? Thick as thieves. It's
1: obvious I don't need to be here for this conversation. Why don't you go back to the precinct and continue your conversation there? Bennett looked over at Montalbo. Montalbo rolled his eyes and started looking around the room again.
2: Mr. James, Wings is your friend then? That's right. You were gathering any belongings of his and checking out the premises for an office? Right. You're bleeding a bit there. Do you want a washcloth or something? I wiped
1: my mouth. Blood stained my hand. I got up and went into the kitchen to deal with it. The Bobsey twins waited. Yeah, more to your liking now? Not grossed out or anything? Sure you don't want to go to the hospital. Get on with it.
2: You said you were not getting paid for investigating the carjacking. That doesn't really answer my question.
1: <laughs> I didn't miss Montalbo a bit. But Bennett is sharp, unlike the meathead sitting beside him. Montalbo was big, tending toward fat. Back on the force, when he was still a flatfoot, Montalbo had always been too quick to have fun at someone's expense. Go get your shoes shined, he'd grind his heel into the toe and ruin the polish. Be eating a candy bar, he'd knock it out of your hand and laugh like an idiot while you stared in shock. He had also been too quick to suck up to management, so much so that they would overlook his boyish hijinks. He made sure never to cross the line in his joking that would get him put on report. He was a coward. If you treated him the same way, he didn't like it and went crying to the captain. After Abby died, it was like he smelled blood in the water. and He wasn't kind. I watched his eyes rove around the room, taking everything in. Abby had decorated it. Bennett waited, watching me. Montalbo picked up the lamp, checked the bottom for the manufacturer's name. I watched Bennett. I wasn't about to tell him why Wings was here. Wings is my friend. I want to know who did this to him and why.
2: Are you investigating the carjacking? I've opened a file. No client.
1: Bennett nodded his head. Montalbo snorted.
2: You learn anything?
1: Last time I talked to this dynamic duo, they didn't seem too interested in the carjacking. Didn't seem to care about wings. Now, Bennett was working real hard to act like it still didn't much
2: matter. Nope. Did you get beat up as a result of your investigation into the carjacking?
1: Like I said, I walked into a door. I saw your clothes outside. They smell real bad. <laughs> you don't say. I didn't take you for a clothes sniffer, Montelbo. Montelbo grabbed the arms of the chair and leaned forward. His eyes glinted.
2: J.D., why don't you go get the car started? I'll be there in a minute.
1: Montalvo gave Bennett a hard look, but he got up and moved to the door. Bennett watched him go.
2: You two have some bad blood between you? No. Nah, what makes you say that? Uh-huh. Well, I'm about done here. I'm going to let you know that the carjacking has gotten hot. More was happening there. It's more than appeared on the surface. It looks like you found that out already. Since you don't have a client... I would appreciate it if you could let me know if you do find out anything.
1: Can you tell me who wanted the restraining order?
2: Bennett shook his head. Sorry, just be careful. Like I said, it's getting hot.
1: Bennett left me sitting there. I put the lamp back in the spot where Abby had placed it before walking over and locking the door. Then I went to the desk and pulled out the file on wings. Not much in it. The stack of flyers and my notes. I pulled up the beauty supply clerk's Instagram. Most of it was dumb, whiny, and self-aggrandizing. Several photos of the crime were taken from bad angles, but it was better than nothing. I printed out the photos. My head would not stop pounding, making it hard to look at the photos for details. I pulled over the flyers. The guy who pulled me from the car had the name of Crowley under his photograph, and the flyer advertised a 12-round boxing tournament. The flyer had been plastered all over several of the telephone poles in the alley. Seems like an odd spot to post fight flyers. Why not put them under the windshield wiper of the people shopping at the mall? After all, psychics, who should know better, do it all the time. I had dug down and pulled off several layers of the flyers from the pole. Most of them were promoting Crowley. There were a few odd band posters, some local short track raceway ads, but most of them were boxing flyers. I never was much into boxing, but I'd not heard of this guy. Only his ugly face and his opponent were the ones to have pictures on the flyer like the one Wings was holding. He looked a lot older than the other guy, probably at the end of his career, probably an aging local favorite who never advanced above the local level. That is probably why he was now playing muscle for whoever wanted me to stop what I was doing. It had not been personal with him. It was a job. He was doing what he did best. I took out Mrs. Fisher's file. She would be happy. I made a few notes and closed it. At least I'd made some easy money on that one. I looked at the file drawer with the Cassis case in it. I'd made no progress on that one. Right now, I didn't care. I just wanted some sleep. I took a couple of Advils and put some ice in a bag. Crowley knew what he was doing. Some superficial cuts, lots of deep bruises, but nothing had been broken. Nothing needed stitches. Bennett said the carjacking was heating up. I touched my mouth to make sure it wasn't still bleeding. The smart thing was to back off, let the police handle it. As sore as I was right now, that sounded like a pretty good idea. It took me a while to get comfortable around the bruises. As I drifted off to sleep, I wondered how Wings had known that the flyer had Crowley's face on it, if they were all wearing ski masks.
0: Thank you for listening to Seamus. If you like this episode of Seamus, please leave a review and tell your friends. Seamus, The Case of the Thieves and Brigands, Part 9, Getting Hot, is based on the book The Great Taxicab Robbery by James H. Collins. Hunter James was played by Sheldon Bird. Wes Bennett was played by Patrick Bancato. J.D. Montalbo was played by Thomas Thompson. I'm Leslie Woodruff. This episode of Seamus was written by Raven Wisdom and directed by Gene Phillips. Sound design for Seamus is provided by openmicrecordingstudio.com Seamus is a New Meadows Media Production, all rights reserved.